welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast today. This is episode number 391, and our guest is Michael from Really Right Stuff. As you'll hear about in the introduction, Michael is a former military sniper and currently works with Really Right Stuff, and they are a company that makes tripods, and they make them all here in the United States. They not only produce tripods and tripod heads, but they innovate. They've been really at the forefront on design as well as production here in the U.S. And when it comes to tripods, and especially a tripod for a backcountry hunt, where you'll be using a system for glassing with binoculars and a spotting scope, and then also potentially shooting a rifle off of a tripod. When you put all those scenarios together, you're asking for a lot from a tripod. And to be completely frank, as I've been shooting more off of tripods and trying to find the perfect tripod over the last really handful of years, I've honestly been kind of frustrated. It is difficult to find one system that is lightweight and stable that works great for glassing with optics and works great for shooting. And we talk a lot about that today, some of the trade-offs, some of the pros and cons, um, and really get into just things to know about tripod selection. This isn't just specifically about really right stuff products. We talk about some fundamentals you need to know about tripod selection and tripod heads. Um, Examples would be the difference between independent panning and whether that is panning below or above a ball head, for example, and how that seemingly minor detail has a big implication for the use of that tripod head. That's just one example. We dive into a lot today. And as you hear, we ask you guys for questions. I would love to do a follow-up with Michael and get much more in-depth on the use of tripods what guys get wrong about shooting from tripods, and a whole lot more. So number one, take this conversation in. And number two, take some notes. Let us know what you want to hear on a future Q&A with Michael on some of the more advanced topics on tripods. All that said, guys, thank you as always so much for tuning in and for supporting the show. You can always reach us by email to podcast at xlmountaingear.com. You can leave an audio message by looking for the link in the show description that says leave a message. And if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically. Do that now, and let's dive into this conversation with Michael. Well, Michael, uh, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. I am super excited to chat with you, man. Thanks for having me, man. It's uh, it's good to make this happen. Both of us have been busy in the last few months and have scheduled and rescheduled and, and been back and forth. But that is, uh, you know, when you have like the podcast is auxiliary to for both you and I, our day-to-day jobs and both working for small companies and wearing a lot of hats and a lot of plates to keep spinning, that's what happens. It definitely does. I think third time's a charm and we'll get this going today. <laughs> well, let's start with uh, an introduction first, kind of for you personally. Um, I think I know just a little bit of um, your history, but not much. And you and I haven't chatted a ton, but start with kind of a personal introduction background and then we'll chat a little bit about really right stuff as well. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm a, a married 
uh, been married for a while, uh, 15 years, two little girls, uh, love the family life. Um, my wife uh, hung out with me for quite a while in the military. Uh, I did my first uh, nine and a half years active, uh, active army, uh, mainly infantry, um, worked at sniper school, um, did two deployments with the 25th ID out of Hawaii, uh, both to Iraq. And I got out of active service in 2015, um, uh, did a little bit of, uh, contracting and mid 2015, I met, uh, really right stuff and talked to them and then started a job with them. And then since 2015, I've still been doing, um, my national guard army just to finish out the retirement. Um, but yeah, you know, just, uh, military history, a um, little bit of hunting, uh, grew up in Pennsylvania, moved to South Carolina for college, then Georgia, Hawaii, California. That's pretty much um, a good background of myself. Um, you know, Really Right Stuff was uh, started in 1990 uh, in uh, California. It's uh, Los Osos, right outside of San Luis Obispo. And then uh, they made only photography gear, uh, mainly plates for cameras. And then the current owner, the Johnsons, bought it in 2002, uh, had a new vigor for uh, photography, got on more of the new products um, and started doing more plates, L-shaped plates, ball heads, resold tripods from Gitzo, talked to their rep a lot about what their customers were asking for, for the tripods to, to be added. Um, whoever their rep was, wasn't really listening to them. And, you know, really right stuff just decided, let's uh, make our own tripod. And everything else from there kind of blew up. As I said, 2015, I came around and met them at gun range, also at a Toyota dealership, and just started hanging out with them more, visited them at the shop, saw a lot of potential and told them, I think, I think I can take this and make this bigger into military and competition shooter the stuff that I was, uh, stuff that I was passionate about. Um, talked to the owner some more and he offered me a job a couple weeks later, mid 2015 all started. Wow. So what would, before that time you and your military history, as you said, uh, on the sniper side of things, you guys have been using tripods, but not, obviously really right stuff at that point. It sounds like then you were using other stuff. Yeah. So I, um, I went to school, uh, sniper school in 2007, I believe it was. And at that point, you know, I just went to Walmart and bought, a, I think it was like $18, $20 at that point. Um, just had a pan tilt head on top of it, cut a PVC pipe in half, um, put some puss pad in there, glued it together and if you needed to, if you needed to run a tripod with your rifle, you just dropped your rifle on there. Uh, there was no clipping in. There was no bag on top or anything like that. You just had it in a U-shape um, padded area and just held as good as you can to shoot off of. And then we had, um, I forget the nomenclature. It was for the old um, spotting scopes. We had this little um, tripod that you could attach and everything was done in the seated or kneeling or prone position. None of the tripods went up standing. Um, we got into uh, starting to do deployments uh, 2007 to 2009. We got a Manfrotto tripod that we purchased uh, independently. Um, 
2010, 2011, still Manfrotto, still purchasing them ourselves. And then when I went to sniper school, um, Bushnell kit came out and all snipers in the mil- in the army got pushed. The Bushnell kit came with the tripod, the bag, a sling, a weapons attachment that just looks basically just like that PVC and puss pad, just with a, um, some soft uh, material, um, cloth material sewn onto it. And then a couple of attachments for spotting scopes, laser range finder, thermals. Um, and we used it. We never really shot off of it past like four or 500. Um, if you needed to go standing, you needed to extend that center column up to the max. Um, so you're basically shooting off of a monopod. Uh, and it didn't really give you what you wanted. My um, part, my shooting partner and I, uh, Craig, we went and shot in a comp in North Carolina. In one of the events, we had to use a uh, tripod. And the cadre just said, you know, go to these five different positions, build your position however you want it. There was couches and desks and tables and chairs, all that stuff. Um, and Craig and I just rolled the tripod through all the different stages, just fast, give us time to find targets, shoot targets. And afterwards, they just gave Craig was shooting. I was spotting. They gave him like all the props for doing really good shooting. They don't really see people shooting past 500 with tripods. And that was like, you know, our shooting experience off of the tripod for in the military. Anyways, I'm trying not to like uh, dive off. I have so many questions just from what you said in there. Um, I can already tell that we're going to run out of time and do a part two if you're up for it. But let's stick to really right stuff a little bit for now. You, so I, just for people who aren't familiar with really right stuff, as you said, it started photography and there still is essentially, um, correct my nomenclature. There still is the photography, um, division, if you will, of the brand. Um, but you essentially are heading up, as you said, kind of the shooting military tactical and all that falls under SOAR, correct? So can you talk about what kind of that division is and, um, what you came on and what you've developed in terms of that whole side of really right stuff. Yeah, for sure. So for uh, really right stuff, it's still a photography business. Um, the, the majority of the company is still photography. You know, there's photographers all over the world, every single country, every person that has a, a phone, you know, can call themselves a photographer. Um, so it is still a very big business, but in 2015, when we started this, we wanted to kind of divide, you know, make products for this and make products for that. So we called it SOAR, which is sport optics and rifle. Um, and, you know, I just started pushing stuff out to a lot of friends that I had in the military, a lot of acquaintances that I made um, in the special operations groups. And I was pushing it out, getting it to their units. And at the same time, um, I started going to, I think 2016, I did like 24, 25 events. Uh, 2017, 23, 22 events, um, just around that 20, um, low twenties number. And these events are competitions, um, mainly in the precision rifle series back then was kind of the, the game. Um, and we just go and go 2015 in December, I think it was maybe was the PRS finale. And I just, uh, I knew the owner of PRS from my military days at that point. And I asked if we could come out and he said, yeah, sure. Come out for a zero day, hang out, show some, show anything that you want. So came out, let people shoot off the tripods, 
we made a little Picatinny section for um, rifles and it could go on, you know, anything that had Picatinny and it would make the bottom of it a, a dovetail or Arca Swiss type that we can talk about here shortly. Um, and I met Phil Cashin from the MPA and I, I mounted it to his Trinity rail that he had for his, uh, um, the MPA BA. And he liked that a lot. I said, you know, here's the drawings. You know, I thought I also need the drawings, use it however you want to. One of his shooters asked if he could actually put it in the chassis. And I filled it that. And then, you know, more and more and more companies started utilizing this dovetail um, to the standard that we have. Some use it to the, not to the standard, but a close fit. Um, but yeah, it just kind of took off from there. You know, rifles, spotting scopes, binoculars, new ball heads, very, very specific firearms gear. Um, mainly military, then competition, and now uh, into hunting where I'm starting to dive pretty deep into it. You know, with hunting, my dad and my uncle took me out when I was younger and I, I got a doe for the first time when I was uh, 15. And then ever since then, I've never really gone deer hunting. Um, so the past couple of years, I've gone out for deer hunting and elk hunting. And this year, I was actually able to get my first buck. So pretty ex- uh, last year, technically, 2022. Um, pretty excited about that. That's awesome, man. So if any of our listeners are um, are new to really right stuff, uh, they'll maybe go Google it, hit the link that's going to be in our show description, et cetera. And some of them like right off the bat are going to have sticker shock. Yeah. You guys make everything in the US. Um, yeah. And I want to talk about that first. And we will get to just for listeners context. Like I also wanted to talk to you because um, with your shooting experience and everything else, I want to talk about the benefits of tripod, how to choose between them, whether that's really right stuff or not, but things like ball head versus pan head, et cetera. We're going to get to a lot of stuff that um, isn't really right stuff specifically, but I think it's important to, to tell some of the story um, and really talk about like what goes into a product that's at this premium price. And um, I know that there's even some, some stuff you guys can't talk about. Um, to me, when I think of it, one thing I'll say about really right stuff in particular is I've observed it is yes, it's built in the U S and that, you know, supports the American worker, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's, that's one thing. But what I will say I've completely objectively observed is not just the production, but the design and like the innovation that goes into stuff. Um, I know that's not a question, take it where you will, but can we talk about like what it means that you guys are building these products you in the US, what goes into cost, what goes into materials, what goes into design and kind of really all about that. Um, I know there's so much there we could talk for hours about just that, but where do you start with that? Yeah, so uh, as you said, 100% US made. Um, we actually talk to all of our suppliers uh, for the raw material and request that all the raw material be made from and sourced US as well. Um, that's the washers, the springs, the screws, um, all the carbon is in Utah. Uh, every single thing. We do have a we do ship some tripods with um a soft case, which is made in China. Um that's unfortunate. Um <clears throat> but besides that, all of the products, you know, are designed here, are made here, manufactured, assembled. Um, we use a lot of these, you know, military friends to help us figure out 
what is needed. Take cues from competition shooters that we've you know built great relationships with. Uh, same thing as what we're doing with hunting. Um, the engineer, the lead engineer, Baron, I've taken him out to competitions. He's gone on some competitions by himself now. Uh, took him hunting for this first time and he got his first go. Um, so the engineer is a, a shooter. He loves it. Uh, he just got his first one or two cans back after doing um, the licensing. Um, so, you know, we are actual users. Um, yes, it's a business. Um, with a business, you want to make products, you want to make money, uh, but we live the products. Uh, before he was a firearm shooter, the lead engineer, he was, he is still a very avid photographer. Uh, the owner of the company, he is, he loves shooting as well. Um, so we do live, you know, what we make. And then, um, Ryan, who works with me, uh, he's a National Guard soldier as well. Um, he's an infantry, he's in the sniper's, uh, position. Um, you know, he is living that. So everyone that we hire, even people that we have hired before, you know, we try to uh, show them this environment and hopefully they enjoy it. And if they do enjoy it, let them have a bigger role in it and take it. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's great. Um, some of the, some of the times that does come and bite us in the butt because we are so passionate about it. We want the design to be perfect. Um, so we have a new product that's coming out uh, pretty soon. We've, we've gone through three or four, iterations of it um like production prototypes almost uh for the past two years and it still hasn't came out uh, it's just because we keep talking to people and sending out prototypes and getting some changes and we decide what changes the form fit function something isn't right and we want to change it so sometimes that is you know can bite us um but yeah that's the that's the short and skinny of it so what goes into, like you mentioned, um, components like springs, washers, carbon, et cetera. I guess, can you talk a little bit about the, the components of a tripod that essentially what form do you receive? Like what does, what do you manufacture? Or are you just assembling these different components that you're sourcing? If that's a fair way to pose that question. Uh, we pretty much manufacture everything. Um, the designers, they, de the engineers, they design everything. If it's something that we don't do, like we don't do a lot of plastics and rubber, um, we find us, um, companies that we've worked with in the past and, you know, send them the drawings and get them to work together. Um, but the rubber foot inside the rubber foot is, uh, if you guys ever look inside of your, um, your stocks where your Harris bipod mounts are or any sling swivels, you'll see like a threaded T-nut. There's something like that inside a steel piece inside of the rubber foot that the rubber is injection molded to. Um, that's why it's so strong. Uh, that's, and that's why it's a little bit more expensive to make rather than just, rather just injecting um, rubber onto some sort of receiver. We have to go through all this welding uh, steps first uh, and then send it out to the injection molders. And then there is a, uh, a foot receiver that we have to design that fits in there a certain way um, with a certain uh, a patent on how that fits to carbon. Um, extremely sturdy and won't come out because uh, it's very hard to thread carbon, so it's not threaded. And then you have, you know, your carbon sections. And each carbon section will have a, um, 
we call it a gib, uh, a threaded section of aluminum that is on there. And then over top of that is twist lock. And inside the twist locks are another four different pieces uh, with injection molding of rubber going around that. And for our tripods, each uh, section of carbon internally has um, two anti-twist sleeves that go in it because there's a flange that goes all along the inside of the carbon. Uh, so when you telescope it in and out, you can't rotate the carbon tube at all. And it also makes a nice hard stop so you know when the tripod is at its limits. Um, I've seen, as I've been searching around looking for uh, some hiking sticks lately, uh, you can pull those things right apart. They don't have that hard stop. Um, unfortunately, I did it right out of the store. You know, I wanted to see how far I could extend it, and I extended one, and it just all fell apart. And I was like, oh, it's not, it doesn't have any stops like this. Mm -hmm. um and then you know there's just section of leg section of leg section of leg and then you get to the top of the tripod leg and you have a clevis a clevis is you can call it a shoulder it's what attaches that leg section or a hip uh, we just call the clevis and um from there the cle the three clevises for a tripod legs attached to the apex typically the top of a tripod is called the apex um top of a triangle and from there you can have uh, apexes that have uh, removable centers. Uh, for our tripods, we call them uh, the Versa series or TVC, Tango Victor Charlie. Um, we just call them Versa uh, for versatile. And they have a little locking ring on the inside that's a patented uh, sure grip ring. So when you tighten up these three little set screws, it um, pushes out this uh, steel um, O-ring in there that captures whatever you're putting inside whether it be a platform to attach a regular ball head to a leveling base that you can stick inside that has a handle coming down below or a center column um, feature, you know, it's versatile, very, you know, able to change whatever you want. Um, then we have fixed apexes that are just, uh, just have a single three eighth stud on top and you can put any ball head. Uh, then we have our TFCT, uh, apex, which is designed specifically for the anvil to fit down inside of, um, no other ball head. Well, uh, yeah, the anvil can fit there. Um, there are other ball heads out there now that can fit in there because there's been some design cues that have been, um, taken from some uh, places to be able to insert in there. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, that's the that's pretty much the makeup of a tripod. Okay, so it's probably a good place I think to ask this question. One question I wanted to hear from uh, is like, what what? So you talked about all these components, how they work together, the construction. What is it? Everything that plays a role then in tripod stability, because um, obviously you know, we can talk about the basics of tripod stability. And as you get into and have a heavier tripod or, you know, thicker legs, things like that, like that's the low hanging fruit on what makes a, one tripod more stable than the other. But then you can take two tripods of an equivalent weight. And I've experienced this with your tripod and comparing it to others is at first glance, like these seem to have pretty similar specs, pretty similar size, et cetera but one is noticeably more stable than the other. So I guess my question is like, obviously there's a low hanging fruit of 
stability, but like, what are the, what are some examples of the fine details that play a role in like why your tripods pound for pound can be more stable than some of the others out there? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, the first and easiest thing to talk about is the carbon. Um, you have a lot of companies, uh, they'll use marketing genre that says like 10 layer, seven layer, eight layer, whatever. Um, you can print carbon in a, in a printer, uh, for lack of a better term, that is just like an office printer. It's just big for manufacturer and it's just printing out sheets or layups of, um, carbon and you can wrap it around something over and over and over again. You can call it 10 layer, uh, or you can do it the hard way. And you can take individual strings of carbon and weave it together or wind it together. Um, you know, like a loom, uh, if you know what a loom is uh, for sewing. Um, and that takes a heck of a lot of time. So when you're printing, you can print however many sheets you want. And then that final sheet, you can put whatever design you want on it. So it can look like something that is woven or, yeah, weaved. Um or you can actually go through the process of weaving the entire thing. And it, when you have multiple different layers um, with weaving, uh, it can be lighter and it can be stronger. So that's the easiest uh, to come down to. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much where it comes down. You know, uh, obviously with metal, you can do forged uh, or, or cast. And whenever you have casting, uh, you can have a lot of air pockets and they can look fairly similar, especially after um, coating process. But anything that's cast um, with those air pockets, if you put the wrong pressure in the wrong area, you'll just have a hard break across uh, across the metal section. Uh, and we just we see and see every single thing, uh, which again takes a little bit longer. Uh, but you know when you when you design things in that fashion, uh, machine things in that fashion, it takes a little bit longer. It's a little bit more. Uh, cost intensive, uh, but it has a better product in our opinion in the, uh, in the end goal. Cool. You mentioned the anvil. Uh, I want to hear a little bit about that, especially for listeners who are newer to what that is. And I'm purposely want to talk about that before we transition to talking about some of uh, what I feel are kind of unique demands for for hunters who are looking for a tripod for both shooting and glassing. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, as you said before, like for competition shooting, um, I think I'm not saying it, I think that it's simpler to select a a tripod if all you want to do is shoot off of it for like a competition. But in my personal experience, and I'm can turn around and look right behind me and see like six tripods sitting here that are all very different in particular for like a backcountry or backpack hunt, like finding the right balance of weight and pack size and stability and, and using it for a spotting scope and binoculars and a rifle. And like you're doing honestly a lot of, you're asking for a lot of competing uh, aspects for my tripod, I'll say, in that specific use case. Um, so I just want to start with shooting and make sure for people who are, um, newer to really write stuff or even considering shooting off a tripod like if you start to go look at shooting off a tripod and go look at tripod heads for shooting the anvil is uh for lack of better terms pretty legendary <laughs> but for people who are new to it explain what it is and what are the benefits of it because it is a very unique design yeah so the anvil was our first 
Um, ball head. Yeah, it's our first ball head that was designed specifically for firearms. Um, we I used the BH style ball head we have. We have the BH for the for firearms. We have the BH 30, 40, and 55 that I typically use. And that had a vertical split body, which means that there's a line that ran from the bottom to the top of it uh, vertically. And when you loosened up the, the ball head, the ball would actually drop down into the housing. So whenever you would lock down onto a target and you'd start tightening it up to stay in the target, it would shift your point of aim, you know, three mils high or two mils high. Uh, so you'd have to take that into effect. And I talked to the engineers about why this happens. And the engineer that I was working with, Brandon, for a while, um, he was explaining all this stuff and we were figuring it out. He's like, how about we just flip it down, uh, flip it upside down. Um, it has been done before, um, but in a different uh, scenario for photography. Uh, so we flipped the ball head upside down and rested all the weight on the ball. So whether you're unlocking it or locking it, there's never a shift up or down. Um, so we started off with that. And then uh, we figured out what kind of minimum and maximum tension we wanted. Um, I borrowed a 107 and said, you know, fully outfitted it with scope, suppressor, night vision. And I said, I want it to support this mounted anywhere on this rifle. Um, and I don't want it to shift. So we figured out our max tension that we really wanted on this thing when it was locked. I don't want to interrupt you, but for guys who are unfamiliar with that platform, including myself, what type of weight are you talking about with that? Uh, fully set up, it can. I think it's right around fifty-eight pounds. Oh, jeez! Um, it's the it's the uh, semi-auto um, military fifty cal uh, okay. long, long range rifle. Um, it's a Barrett. Okay, a Barrett, Barrett fifty cal. Okay. Yeah, Barrett M one hundred seven. Gotcha. Um, so it's it's very heavy. Um, but, you know, I was going after military in the beginning, so I wanted to make sure that it would support the strongest um, we, there was, and then, or the heaviest rifle that was really out uh, in service. And on that rifle, at that time, the only real area to mount it was towards the end of the forend grip. Um, so you had, you know, two foot of a rifle hanging off of the back of this tripod. Uh, so that's why we started using um, torque specs or um, foot pounds of torque uh, for the capability rather than people just saying this is a 50 pound capacity. Uh, that doesn't really say a lot for ball heads. Like you could probably balance 150 pounds on some sort of small little platform if you balance it perfectly in the center. Um, we wanted to start using uh, foot pounds of torque to talk about the capacity for that ball head. Um, <clears throat> so from after we figured out our capacity for the min and max, um, I wanted it to have some sort of clamping mechanism on it that could go to the dovetail, but it could also go to Picatinny. Um, we wanted it to be easy one-hand use, ambidextrous, lever release, have bubbles in it, um, figure out the camp that we needed and since it was rifle specific, you know, uh, somewhere around 40 degrees was really the max of what you would need to shoot up or down in most scenarios. Um, so we were able to make it with a plus or minus 35 degrees. Um, and it just, it just kind of uh, snowballed from there. Uh, it came out, did a couple of design iterations, 
uh, Brandon knocked it out of the park. And if, you know, we made a apex for the tripod that specifically fit it. And, uh, that, that started, started selling, uh, like hotcakes to military and competition shooters. It just, it just worked. Um, it's very strong, but when it's fully unlocked, I, I specifically said, I want to be able to attach my phone to the top of it and be able to unlock it and move it around and not like break the screen of my phone or anything. I want it to be very easy to use. So that's why a lot of people are able to use it with binos, um, spotting scopes, laser rangefinders. even though when you unlock it, it does unlock all axes, which is not the best for a bino or spotting scope for hunting scenario because you're trying to just grid a certain area. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the anvil is just taken off. It's kind of uh, taken military um, competition and now a lot of uh, hunting. Um, people say it's the, the go-to. Um, you mentioned the dovetail and even earlier, you mentioned kind of a standard um, that, I don't think I'm even fully clear on like what is and isn't standard, but I will say the universal term these days of ARCA. Um, can you talk about like, is there still, I will put it this way. Is there still concern with there being like spec and non-spec ARCA versus a general dovetail? Like your average guy out there looking at adding dovetail or ARCA capability to a rifle and purchasing some sort of plate for that or looking at a chassis and then looking at a head to then clamp that rifle into, is that something they should be concerned with or is it pretty universally compatible these days to go, yeah, if it says ARCA, it's going to work. That's a pretty tough question. Uh, it can go, <laughs> it can go either way. Um, ARCA Swiss is a photography company started way back when, um, they made uh, a plate that had a dovetail cut in either side of it um, that had different uh, widths. You know, some of them were 1.1, some of them were 1.7 inches wide. They varied. It was just a, it was just a type of a rail, an Arcus was type of plate. Um, it had no specific dimension. And then they started making them pretty much right around the one and a half inch. Um, and there was prior art from another company that did the same type of thing. That's why everyone and anyone can use it because there's been so much prior art that there's no patents on it. Um, but all these companies for photography, they're, they're seeing that this is really popular. So they started making it and none of them were really talking to each other. So that's why every single ball head up until 2015, um, for the most part was a, uh, a screw knob. Um, and the ball heads that were out before 2015, that had lever release clamps on them. Uh, they had um, an asterisk saying you need to use our plate with this because if you use someone else's plate, it'll probably slide or the clamp won't shut because it'll be too tight. Um, so we, in 2015, we put out our, um, if you go to our uh, trademarks and patents page, you can see the dovetail standard with all of our drawings right there. Feel free to use it. You know, please use it. We call it the RRS dovetail standard, um, but it is a standard that we started pushing out to all these different companies saying, hey, if you're going to do this, please do this. Just using the term ARCA, if you go to Amazon or eBay and you type type it in, you'll find something and it might be $8. It might be $100. You don't know what you're going to get. So a long time ago, it was maybe a year after I started, 
um, someone called me and said, Hey, I bought your um, ball head. Uh, we were shooting. Uh, we went to full auto and the rifle came out of the, the ball head and uh, put a couple of rounds into the ground before we stopped. And that's his fault. Um, you know, just, just paying attention to that. Like if you feel that it's starting to slip or whatever, he should have came off the trigger. But anyways, you know, he was kind of upset and I asked him what kind of plate he had said. And he said, I specifically remember, he said, I just went to Amazon and picked up the plate. And I said, well, on our website, it says for that um, clamp, you need to use our standard. Uh, so anyways, I talked to him, I got him out a new dovetail and he was super excited with it. And our dovetails had um, safety stops on them just in case there was any sort of walking due to um, in this in this purpose, uh, high recoil or extensive recoil um, or with photography uh slips, trips, falls, or anything like that, your gear's not going to come out of it. Um, so going down that rabbit hole of all these different companies making them, I have had to reach out to a few chassis companies and say, hey, I'm getting a lot of complaints about our ball heads being too loose or too tight. And we make everything to the exact same standard. What are you using? Um, I send them our dovetail and they said, oh, there's an issue here or an issue there. So a lot of people are using that. And then we came out with another um, locking feature that adds uh, to the dovetail that people can use as well. Um, that's a lot of our new clamps have a little pin in there. So it's the pin and the dovetail combined to make it so it's absolutely uh, secure. Uh, but that's another one that people are free to use if they give me a holler and ask for that add-on to the dovetail standard. Um, but yeah, we call it a dovetail standard. The world just calls it um, Arca Swiss. If you say Arca Swiss, you don't really know what you're going to get. Um, I think in 2019, Swaro um, started to um, put this into all their receivers on their spotting scopes. I have a I have a Swaro from beforehand that didn't. Um, and their standards were a little bit um, thin. So some of our lever release, release clamps would clamp onto it and it would slide. So people would still have to buy a dovetail to the bottom of it. Uh, but the new Anvil, the new SCR clamp, we finally saw the pattern of all these different companies using it. So we actually made our first two products um, adjustable for tension now. So you can you can change the tension. And that also helps because our dual clamps, they go to Picatinny as well. And there's a pretty wide variant in Picatinny, uh, the standard. Uh, so you can actually make it a little bit tighter, a little bit looser on the Picatinny as well. This is back in way up to a very basic question. If someone is on more of a budget, uh, would you, where would they get the most bang for their buck? Investing in a really, really high quality head, whether that's a ball head or the anvil or something like that, or investing in uh, the tripod and the legs and that portion itself. So if a guy's like, you know, I have the potential to get, you know, RS legs or RS head, because I've seen this conversation happen online, what would you say you're going to get the most bang from your buck from if you're starting with one or the other? Um, it's probably easiest uh, financially to jump in with a ball head first, just because it you know is half or um, more uh, off of a tripod. Um, so that would be financially easier to jump into the ball head first, and you are going to see um, 
you know, there's the anvil. You'd be able to jump into that and you can put that on any tripod. Uh, we did make the anvil able to go on any other type of tripod with a 3.8 stud. And we do have some adapters to go on to uh, other tripods as well. So that would be a very easy way to get into it. Um, I have known a few people that have purchased the anvil and they've bought in a tripod and they started using it extensively for competitions and then took it hunting. Um, they got a lot of mud in there and guck in there and they had a malfunction. So they bought another one and they've been using the anvil for the so long. Um, they break a tripod and they buy another tripod. If they break it again, I mean, they're, they're already way over what they would have if they got the tripod. So you can go either way with that question, really. The easiest to get, everyone, a lot of shooters already have a tripod. Easiest way to get into our system would be put the anvil on top of it. Um, if it breaks and you want to improve on your system, don't just go out and buy the exact same thing. Like isolate the reason why it broke. Was it, was it your fault? Like, did you break it? Are you using it too extensively? Then you might have to jump up into the next tier of um, just performance or the craftsmanship. Okay. So um, as I said before, I have, half a dozen tripods sitting behind me and as i've gotten more into wanting to use a tripod beyond just optics and observation and hunting scenario so beyond just binoculars and a spotting scope and even among those two you know we could talk about some differences or ways to optimize but as i've said okay i want a tripod system for binoculars for a spotting scope and to be able to shoot off of. And then also thought through, okay, well, I, I don't want it to be too big. I don't want it to be too heavy. I need to be able to take it on. Um, I mean, I, I carried a tripod system on a backcountry bear hunt last year, backcountry mountain goat hunt, uh, backcountry elk hunt, et cetera, et cetera. It's something I'm carrying a lot. Um, thinking through things like, weight packability the height range am i going to be sitting and kneeling do i need it for standing um all these different things and as i said it's it's hard to find one perfect solution that i, I that i feel meets all these needs um where do you like if i were to call you and just said hey here's what i'm doing i, I really need a tripod for backcountry backpack hunting i'm going to be use it for binocular spotting scope and rifle like where do you what questions do you ask that guy what questions would you ask me how do i help narrow down what would be a good solution for for that need no problem yeah you just uh you pretty much gave me a lot of it right there um so someone just calls me up and says hey i'm a hunter i'm looking for a tripod and that's very open-ended and i typically ask you know what kind of hunting are you going to be doing um are you going to be packing this a long way uh, if they're packing it a long way, okay, they're going to be worried about weight. Um, I ask them, what kind of weight um, are they accustomed to? What kind of weight are they okay with taking? You know, what are their limits? Um, a lot of them, I ask them, um, hey, would you be willing to drop a bipod? Because a bipod can be, a, you know, fully outfitted. It can be anywhere from half pound to a pound, even more with some bipods. Because um, you can use a tripod like a like a bipod. Um, especially if you're a snow hunter, you, there's bipods kind of pointless. Um, <clears throat> so we talked to them there and then let them know that, you know, our tripods, they're 
three pounds to five and a half pounds. That's the lightest one to the, the strongest one that we currently offer. Um, and the five and a half pound one that comes with the head already on it. So we don't really have a huge shift. Um, next, you know, we, we talk about those weights, we get it down. And I ask the person, you know, how tall are you? Um, do you, do you want to use this for glassing? Um, whether you're using binos or spotting and they let me know, let's say they say, I'm going to be using it with binos and a spotting scope. Spotting scope has a straight eyepiece. So I'm like, okay, so the tripod has to be a little bit uh, taller because you're not going to be looking down with an angled spotter. Um, and then binos, you know, you're looking straight across. So we could probably put them, find one that's for their height when they're standing. And then I ask them, uh, do you shoot while standing at up angles very often? Um, when you shoot standing at up angles, you have to have a tripod taller than you are. You mount the rifle center balance or worse out towards the end of it. Um, now, you know, that butt stock of the rifle is a lot lower than the tripod when you're shooting up. So unless you want to go seated or kneeling, you're going to have to have a tripod a little bit taller than you are. Um, then from there, I can talk to them about the type of types of heads and what they care about most and what they've been using, uh, in the past. A lot of hunters, um, they've been using, uh, pan tilt heads. And that's all they've been using. And whenever they shoot, they shoot from their pack or binos. Um, they typically never shoot from their tripod. So all they've ever been used to is a pan tail head. Um, then I let them know about ball heads, the, what a ball head can offer. Um, and they really have been used to that pan tilt for a long time. So it's really hard to break a pattern of what you're used to. Um, so we do have the, we do have ball heads that have independent panning built into it, or we have panning clamps that you can add on to like the anvil. So you can still get that, um, panning that you're used to, and then just change the elevation with the main ball. Can you clarify what you mean by independent panning? Because I've, uh, I know that, but I've seen this get, uh, overlooked. So, um, with a traditional ball head, no independent panning or anything like that. If you want to pan, you open up the ball head and you pan left or right. When you open up that ball head, you can also go up and down, left, right, any access you want to. When you lock that down on your target and you go to a secondary uh, mechanism and unlock that, it only locks up the horizontal um, panning option. So wherever you lock the tripod down, the elevation, um, as soon as you unlock that panning, you can spin 360 degrees and that's the only movement that you have. No up, down, left, right, or I'm sorry, no up, down, or diagonal, uh, or change in a lay of the rifle. You're just spinning on a horizontal plane 360 degrees. Um, so with the anvil, the independent pan, if you wanted to add that, it would be on top. So when, once you lock down the anvil, you open up that second mechanism with the BH um, 30, 40, and 55, uh, I'm sorry, 40 and 55, you have a little lever on the uh, little screw knob on the bottom right that once you lock the ball head down, you unlock that little um, screw knob and you can pan 360 degrees. Uh, and then there's a couple other ones. But yeah, independent pan is a secondary function, secondary secondary mechanism. Can you elaborate on the pros and cons, if that's the right way to phrase it, but the differences between having the panning um, above the ball versus below it? Because I again, I feel like this is an area where... Um, People might assume that that's the same, but there's definitely functional differences there. Yeah. So 
uh, once you set up a tripod and <clears throat> let's say you just lay it down as it lays, you don't extend any of the tripod legs or anything like that. Um, the, tr the ground can be fairly um, uneven, you know, especially for hunters. If you open up your uh, panning base at that point um, and the panning base is below the ball, you're going to pan um, to the level that the apex or the top of the tripod is at. So if the top of the apex is not leveled, you're not going to pan level to earth. Um, if you set up your tripod, you set up your ball head um, for your point of aim, and then you unlock your panning that is above the ball head, um, a locked position. Now you can level your rifle with your tripod not leveled, and you can pan on a level a level plane. Does that make sense? Yeah. So with if you had independent panning below the ball head, if you want to pan on a level plane, you would have to level the tripod itself. You'd have to use the the legs, as you said, to level the apex, because um, the, that's how the panning is going to be functioning. Whereas the potential of if you have the panning mechanism above the ball head, you could have the tripod and the apex not level, but you've used the ball pet, the ball head itself to create some sort of level surface. Um, and then because your panning mechanism is above the ball head is now on a level plane. Yep. And the only way to get around that with the bottom side is if you wanted to add a leveling base underneath your ball head. So you wouldn't have to worry about your tripod legs. You would utilize the leveling base to level your ball head and then your ball head um, would be leveled. Okay, cool. Helpful. Again, I just feel like I've, I've talked with people and I've seen this discussed of like, Oh, it has panning. And I don't think the implications of whether that's below the ball below or above the ball head has been uh, fully thought through. Not that one's necessarily right or wrong. You just need to be aware of the differences. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I typically, most people, um, me included, you can set up a tripod pretty close to level. Um, and a lot of times you're not panning, you know, more than 30 degrees. Um, especially when you're, especially when you're hunting, you're not just walking in circles around your tripod behind your rifle, 360 degrees. So it doesn't become a huge thing. I think it's bigger for photography because they do take those really big panographic shots. And if something's not level, you'll be able to see it in the, the end results. Um, with firearm shooting, I don't think it's as big, but if you wanted to practice moving targets uh, for competition and you wanted to utilize it off of a ball head, you could start seeing um, some vertical stringing um, the more uh, you get to your left and right limits. Got it. Helpful. All right. I feel like I interrupted um, <laughs> the no moment problem, no we problem. were on. Um, as far as tripods uh, for your hunter, you know, I tell them um, we have three series of tripods, a series one, two, and a three. Series one is going to be the lightest, but it's thinnest. Series three is the heaviest, but it's the thickest. Um, with weight comes rigidity. With the smaller size, you get your weight advantage, but you lose a little bit of rigidity. So are you going to be doing, you know, 99% spotting, 1% shooting off the thing? Are you going to be doing 50-50? Uh, where are you going to be at? Me personally, the shot's the most important. You could spend your whole uh, shooting, your whole hunting or anything, just spotting and spotting and spotting and spotting. And that's what you're going to do when you're going hunting. But when you put your rifle onto whatever you're using and you take a shot and you miss because of a bad position or 
you had too much wobble zone. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal, especially, you know, some of these people put in for tags. If you're lucky enough to get a once in a lifetime tag or you, or you are doing like a, a high end guide or something that you've never done before for backcountry, like that's a lot of money that you're going to throw away just because you're a weight weenie. Um, and I'm a weight weenie. Uh, so that's, I'm not making fun of anyone there. Uh, I definitely will choose things that are lighter weight because I like to be more comfortable. Um, but those are, those are some places where I give the person, I, I kind of just feed you the information and I make you choose. I never really tell people, this is what you want. I typically give them the, the two options, sometimes just one option if there is one. Uh, but that's pretty much how to answer your initial question. I like the, um, I like that there's not easy answers because it, it makes the, the user think about not only selecting, say, a tripod from really right stuff, but just being a more informed consumer, no matter what they're looking at, or, um, you know, it just drives me nuts when I see stuff online or people ask like really simple questions. I understand where that's coming from. Not everybody has the time to invest in research and fully understanding the topic. But I think especially as it relates to um, investing money or trying to find a tool, no matter what that tool is for, for a unique application, it's like the more you can actually know and understand, and often that comes through asking better questions, um, the more satisfied you're going to be with the end result versus just taking a blind recommendation on so-and-so said this was a good tripod or a good rifle or a good backpack or a good anything right for sure um and with shopping really right stuff we have a lot of acronyms they all mean something you guys don't know what they mean um ryan and i love talking to customers i i really don't like when someone calls me up after the fact they order something they're like man i messed up i bought this i thought it was this because i was told this call me a lot of times I won't answer. A lot of times Ryan won't answer because there's only two of us and we're dealing with 108 countries worth of phone calls. Um, but if you leave a voicemail message, I am going to call you back. Ryan is going to call you back. Um, I'll be on podcasts with you or I'll be out like uh, on Monday. I was out doing some uh, training that I was invited to do um, <clears throat> down in a San Inez Valley area. So I will give you a call back, but I love talking to people and helping you guys out, figure out exactly what you need um, and answer any questions, whether you, whether you think they're stupid or not. Um, that's a great way to learn. I do like when people read for themselves, um, but you can, re you can read in between the lines or think what you think after you read something. It might be different than just going to the source. So feel free to all your listeners. Give me a call if you have any questions. We've probably already touched on some of this, but if I call you and say, all right, I'm taking the plunge, I'm getting ahead from really right stuff. Uh, I'm not sure if I want the Anvil or say the BH-30, BH-40 ball head. Uh, relatively lightweight hunting rifle, right? Like, okay, I'm, I'm putting this on a tripod legs I already have for now. My rifle weighs less than 10 pounds, fully ready to hunt. I'm not decided on whether I should get the Anvil or uh, the ball head, a BH 30 or 40. What would you ask that guy specifically? Uh, not really going to ask him anything. Um, I'm going to tell him the differences between the BH 30, uh, BH 40 and the anvil. Um, gonna, I will ask if you've been accustomed to using, uh, pan tilt heads and if you love how they feel, um, 
is glassing the most important thing to you? Do you shoot um, at the end of the day when you are shooting? Are you typically shooting off the tripod? Um, if they are, if they've never shot off a tripod, they want the ability to, and they've used pan tilt heads for a long time. They want something super smooth. I might push them a little bit more to the towards the ball heads, uh, the BH style of ball head. Excuse me. Um, the BH forty has a drop notch, um, which means that you can drop it ninety degrees, so it's perfectly um, horizontal. If you were using like a spotting scope, let's say uh, my Swaro, the STR eighty that I has, um, you can loosen up the receiver and rotate it to the ninety degree position, and I could attach that to the BH forty, and I can open up the independent pan and the the elevation change. And I can have a pan tilt. I can I can rotate it 360 degrees left and right, and then I can spin it 360 degrees um, vertically. So I have a pan tilt head in essence, and it's strong enough to shoot from. It was designed specifically for photography, so it's going to be very smooth operations with your uh, optics. If the person says, you know, every single time I've gone out the past two years, I've shot from the tripod. Um, I've, I've used a ball head before or a pan tilt head and I was off centered and I missed, you know, I, I'd push them more towards an anvil and maybe add that panning base to the top of it. So I really don't want to push them too far out of their comfort zone. Um, especially because, you know, how, how important a hunt is, uh, don't want to throw something brand new at them. Um, but if they're willing, you know, I, I definitely will push them towards the anvil and say, hey, you know, this is what I use. I love it. Um, the pan tilt head up on top or the painting base up on top is a great addition. Um, but I won't I won't lie to them and let them know that I have taken uh, the BH style out there and had great success as well. It's not a uh, different strokes type thing. Everyone will be a little bit different. Uh, they'll ask about the differences, the specs, and they'll kind of come up with an informed decision on their own. And you said like different priorities. I think that's something I've always come back to. It's like, are you looking for essentially a glassing tripod that you can shoot from? Or is, as you said, is like shooting a big part of your objective. Um, and I think just starting there really helps narrow things down. For sure. Um, man, Michael, this time has flown by. I wanted to chat with you about rifle shooting tips from a tripod misconceptions about shooting with a tripod and a whole bunch of stuff or would you be up for rescheduling doing a part two and then also answering some listener questions that we get between now and then yeah i'm definitely down with that um really to just to leave you just with a a brief uh what you just talked about um biggest misconception people get with tripods they're like hey everyone told me if i go to a really right stuff tripod it's going to be like shooting from prone People use their tripods, um, they use their hand-me-down tripods and they shoot from, and there's a lot of wobble. And when you go to one of our tripods, you know, we do make them very rigid. So it will minimize your wobble. But <clears throat> the further you get from the ground, the further you get away from being prone. That's just how it is. So don't expect to, to buy the $1,580 tripod, ball head package, plate, all that stuff together and get up and that's where I'm zeroing my rifle while standing half MOA all day long. That's not going to happen. Well, I want to ask you questions about, um, yeah, I mean, little things like 
that people who are new to shooting on tripods may look over like the alignment of the legs, positions, <laughs> um, rear support with a tripod, shooting clamped in versus uh, having the rifle resting on the tripod. Like there's a lot of other questions I want to get to. We'll save that for another day. But again, for our listeners, um, you always hear it like on our show intros, but we always encourage you guys to ask us questions. So um, if you have questions for Michael about any really right stuff in particular, but also just shooting from tripods in general, uh, be sure to send us an email to podcast at xmontgear.com. Or as always, you can look for that link in the show description and leave us an audio message as well. But um, Michael, thank you so much. Like this was incredibly helpful already and answered a lot of the questions that I've gotten from our listeners. So I'm excited to have a resource to point them to. Uh, and not just have them take my word for it, but, um, thank you again for being willing to, uh, schedule another one. I'm looking forward to it already. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. If any of you guys want to go to the site, it's just rrssore.com. Um, the phone number on the website will go directly to me and Ryan. Uh, if we're out of the office, it'll go to someone else, but that uh, phone number will go to uh, both of us. Feel free. Well, that is a wrap today for part one with Michael. For part two, we'd love to hear from you guys. Be sure to let us know on the specific questions and topics that you want to hear. Send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com or look for the link in the show description that says leave a message and let us know what questions you have about this topic, about tripod use, selection, shooting from tripods, um, any of the pros and cons we talked about, any of the topics you want to go more in depth on. We want to answer your questions, so be sure to reach out and let us know, and we'll reschedule with Michael and tackle those questions for you guys. Looking forward to that. As always, thank you guys for tuning in. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically, and we'll talk to you soon.